for the websites, and uh, there we go. So welcome, um, as we continue on in our study of the Old Testament, we're working our way through the Old Testament a chapter at a time. We completed five years in the New Testament, good job. Now we're a year and a half, almost two years, uh, a year and a half, into the Old Testament. We finished the book of Genesis, we're now into the book of Exodus, and uh, we're six chapters in today. This will be chapter six of the book of Exodus, fascinating um, uh, book. Uh, and uh, we can learn a lot, uh, and we will learn a lot from uh, throughout our study in Exodus. As we study, remember there's four things I want you to be looking for and that you should sort of know about the book of Exodus. If somebody asks you about the book of Exodus, these four things, we're going to drill them into you by doing every week, that these are the main things in the book of Exodus, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, the giving of the law, and the tabernacle. Those four things, they have impact throughout, um, you know, what we're going to le learn from here on, but um, be looking for those things. Really, these first 14 chapters are kind of leading to the Passover, and uh, so we're heading in that direction, and then we'll see the other ones as they come into play throughout the book of Exodus. Um, so far in our study, you know, you've met Moses, and you've met Aaron, um, you've seen the early childhood of Moses. You know, he was born at a time when they were killing Jewish babies, Jewish males. Um, his mom didn't want to do that, and she kind of hid him in a basket, and she was found by, you know, a wife or daughter of Pharaoh who decided to raise him. Um, he, he was raised, Moses was there in a, an Egyptian, you know, finery, if you would, in the royalty, and had a great education, and um, had an early sense of his calling to sort of deliver his people, but tried it in his own strength, you know, and he, the story is that he, you know, he killed an Egyptian who was mistreating the Hebrews, and then all of a sudden people found out about it, so uh, he took off and in hiding basically for 40 years. And uh, he ends up being a shepherd, and uh, uh, there God kind of deals with him, and he learns a critical skill, which is humility. Uh, and then, you know, 40 years later, God says, okay, it's time, and appears to him in a burning bush, and uh, he's got some serious questions, but he says, okay, he's gone now um, to Pharaoh at God's leading, and they've told Pharaoh to set the people free, let them go, so they can go out and worship in the desert, and that has backfired horrifically, and now the, uh, the Hebrew um, slaves, if you would, are having to not only continue their quota of bricks, but they're having to gather their own straw, which is making things a nightmare. And so um, not only has Pharaoh not been persuaded to let them go, he's doubled down and said, you know, if you think you've got so much time you can take a week off, let's see how that goes. And um, Pharaoh, I mean, God, uh, Moses has gone to God in the last chapter and he'd ask him a question at the end of chapter 5, which was in effect, why have you sent me? You know, it's... it's uh, you know, is this why you sent me? Are you, are you going to keep your promise to me or not? Is sort of how we ended chapter 5. And um, chapter 6 is God speaking to Moses and uh, encouraging him to continue on and, and that he's in control. And, and um, it's going to be uh, it's pretty interesting when we look at it. Things I want you to look for as I read through the chapter with you. Um, in, the, in the first little chunk, God's going to speak to him and give him, you know, some amazing promises. You know, today we have the, the written word of God, but um, there, you know, God was audibly speaking to Moses, and, and um, uh, four times in that speech, in the beginning there, 
He's going to remind Moses, I am the Lord. Um, he's going to use his covenant name. I want you to look for that, Jehovah. We're going to talk more about the names of God in a little bit. Um, and seven times in, those, in that little promise, that little speech, he's going to give, uh, you know, encouragement that he's going to give to Moses. He says, I will. And it's something very important for us to know um, that, that God is in control. And when we know that God is in control, we can have peace in our lives. We sometimes struggle with that whole idea that God is in control, but God is always, God's in control. Things are not catching God by surprise. I always like to think of this when I start getting a little weirded out, is that God is not pacing the throne room saying, I didn't see that coming. Um, he's in control. He's got it. And we can trust Him. That does not mean everything will always go the way we want, but it will go according to His plan. And... and um, um, at the heart of these promises, these I will promises, in verse 7, I want you to, when I get there, it says, um, and I will take you to me for a people. And, and that's the heart of everything that God does for the people of Israel. Um, the Lord um, is going to let Moses know that, that he's, he knows the burdens of the people and he's working on their behalf and, and um, that he has a plan and that it will succeed. And that, that, you know, they needed to trust that. That nothing was happening that, that God wasn't aware of. And um, you're going to see that the Lord commands Moses um, to go and speak to Pharaoh again. And, um, you know, he can't even persuade now the Jewish elders. He's got to go back to Pharaoh. It hadn't gone well. You can understand his hesitation. But um, it's, it's good that he's... Uh, He's going to the Lord and working this through. I've told you that's important. You know, we go, we're supposed to go to God at high points and low points and all sorts of times. We can go to God and be honest, and that's, you know, ultimately what Moses is doing. Now he's working this stuff out with God. Because if it were me, you know, I can't speak for Moses, but if I'd been with God and seen him in the bush, uh, you know, the burning bush, and he had talked to me, and then he gave me these signs, you know, where my stick turned to a snake and my hand turned leprous and then was healed and then blood water turned to blood and stuff, I'm assuming that when he sends me to go, it's just going to happen. I mean, that's what I would have assumed. I'm going to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and he's going to go, see you later, have a good time. And uh, so you can get how that doesn't happen. It's an issue, but it's all part of what has to take place. And then, um, don't be discouraged, but in the middle of chapter 6, there's a genealogy. And that's where most people sort of fall asleep, genealogies. But it's there on purpose. It's there as a reminder of what he's already done and how he's put everything into place up to that point. The genealogies are a reminder of that. So I've been at work all this time and here's how this has all happened to be and, and it's a reminder of what happens. And you'll see that the genealogy, um, rather than being an entire genealogy, really um, gets through the first three um, of, the, of the 12 sons, stops with Levi and then expands on Levi because, you know, that's how we're going to get to Moses and Aaron. And so it's, it's purposefully there. Um, that God's going to, he's going to complete what he starts. And we can be aware of that. All right. So be looking for those things. Exodus chapter 6 is 30 verses. I'm going to read out of the NIV. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the notes or overhead, wherever you want to go. But uh, let me read it to you. Beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, 
where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring to you, I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of, uh, son of Israel, were Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These were the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These were the clans of Simeon. These were the names of the sons of Levi, according to their records. records Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi according to their records. Amram married his father's sister Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Izar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zerah. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzathan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab, and sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These were the Korahite clans. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, so here we go. Um, they've been to Pharaoh once, and it hasn't gone well. Lots of extra burden on the Hebrew um, slaves. And um, now there's, you know, they're disgruntled. They're mad at Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron, or Moses is upset with God. And um, they, why in the world are we doing this? What's going to happen? Nothing's changing, you know, and, and yet God is insistent, go. And you've got to learn that I've got this, and, and you can trust me, but you need to go. Don't worry about it. The people will ultimately listen to you, and so will Pharaoh. Um, but in those first few verses there, 
Um, you know, it's God responding to Moses and, and encouraging him. And, and like I said, uh, you know, Moses had to be just frustrated at the failure of his mission. And yet he has the faith to go back to God and to ask him what's going to go next. You know, what's happening next? Or is this, you know, is this pointless? Is this what you want from me? Um, I, I want to know, you know, what's taking place. And God does something neat there. He reminds him of his covenant name, which is Jehovah. And there's something very important about the names of God. And, and so when you want to know God better, you sort of have to pay attention to his names um, in, in, in the way that they're being written for us in the book. So uh, I want to just go over some of the names of God. So the, the first way they would have known God is as Elohim, um, which is God, creator, mighty and strong. You know, back in, in Genesis. And, and uh, um, this is, you know, uh, it's, it's talking about from the very beginning. God speaking everything um, into existence. And, and, uh, and so, you know, God is Elohim. And, and then they know him, uh, the patriarchs knew him as El Shaddai, God Almighty. The mighty one of Jacob. Uh, and so El Shaddai is, a, is when you see God Almighty. And then um, Adonai is Lord... But it's not all caps, Lord. So if you ever wondered in the Bible why you see Lord with it, it's a capital L-O-R-D, but it's not. Have you ever seen how in those Bibles just reading you, there's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? All right. Well, um, Adonai is capital L, little O-R-D. And um, uh, it's, it's more often used when God is dealing with Gentiles, but sometimes with the Jews. But the, the Jews would use it at times because they won't speak the, the word Jehovah or Yahweh, um, uh, which is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Bible. Whenever you see that in the Bible, it's the word um, Yahweh or, or um, Jehovah. And that's what Moses speaks, uh, you know, what God speaks to Moses in, when we find him in the bush. I am. I am. And, and so it's... It's such a, uh, it's, and he links it with his covenants. And so um, this, this word is such a, this name for God, it's, you know, it's like, it really is the name for God that's above all the other names, if you would, is, is Jehovah, Yahweh. It's, a, it's, a, it's who, you know, he is. I am who I am. It, it talks about his immediacy, his presence, um, that he's accessible. Uh, and, and, um, but the Jewish people won't use that word, still won't. Um, they don't even write it. They, miss, they skip a letter when they write it. I don't know if you'd know that, but if they're, if they're referring to that word, they'll keep one of the letters out uh, or um, they'll refer to it as the name, but they won't say Jehovah or Yahweh. Um, so, um, but we, we see it in our Bibles. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's this name. It's, a, it's I am. It's, the, it's sort of the quintessential name for, for who God is. And... Um, uh, and, and all who call on him. And, and you know, we, we, God made himself known that way to Moses back in Exodus 3. It's huge. And he reminds him of that in that, those verses that we just spoke. I am. Remember, I am. And that's what he's bringing back to him. And, and so that's really important for us to know. But then he takes that, his name, um, Jehovah, and he links it with other sort of character traits. So in the Bible, um, sometimes he'll be referred to as um, Jehovah Jireh. There's songs like that. You've probably heard it, which is the Lord will provide. He's known that way. Um, Jehovah Rapha, 
the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Makadesh, um, the Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, most of you know that one, the Lord our peace. Um, Jehovah Elohim, which is a combination of um, God's unique name, L-O, capital L, capital O, capital R-D, and, and the generic L-O-R-D, capital L, little O-R-D. It's a combination of the two, Yahweh Elohim, or Jehovah Elohim, uh, and it really signifies that he's the Lord of Lords. So when you see that in there, there's Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord our righteousness. Um, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. He's, he's mentioned that way. Jehovah, uh, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Um, uh, he's also known as El Elyon, most high God. El Roi, the God of the seeing. Um, and and uh, El, Elo, um, El Olam, everlasting God. El Gibor, mighty God. So, um, when you're reading through this scripture, those, those names sort of give you a picture of what's going on um, in, in that time period with God and, and what's happening in those relationships. And so the, the patriarchs knew God as, as God Almighty El Shaddai, the all-sufficient and all-powerful God. And, and they knew God's name Jehovah at some level because we see it pop up in, in some of these early sort of um, combination names. But it, it, I, they don't understand it until Exodus 3 when, when God speaks it to Moses and I am. And all of a sudden it makes sense. I am the God who's made these promises and I will keep them. And he links his name to these covenants. Uh, and, and, um, and so he's associated his name with the covenants, promises that he's made to his people. Um, and so, um, so, so all that's very important. And I, I wanted to make sure you heard that. Because when he says Jehovah in there to, to Moses, again, it's a reminder of I am. And that's a very, very powerful understanding of who God is. And he wants them to get that. I am. I'm the one who made these promises, and I'm the one that's going to keep them. Uh, verses 4 and 5. Um, he, you know, he's, it, 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 they're God's resolve to, to see that the descendants of Abraham, to whom he promised to give the land of Canaan, will enter into their uh, inheritance after their departure from Egypt. And um, that they'll establish their godly community in an ungodly world. Um, and, and, you know, the, the world was, was wholly given over to idolatry and corruption, and he wants his people to establish, uh, you know, a, a, this, this promised place, this, this covenant place. Um, and then uh, verse 6 and, and 7 and 8, it's a, it's a guarantee that, that God will accomplish his redemptive purposes with divine intervention through a series of spectacular miracles. See, what's going to happen is... He's not negotiating a settlement with Pharaoh. Um, the power of God is going to be displayed in significant ways. And, and um, as a result, ultimately the people are going to be released. And, and uh, you know, it's with mighty acts and an outstretched arm is what he promises. And, and sure enough, you're going to see that. When we start getting to the series of plagues that leads to the... Um, Exodus itself, the freedom of the people, you're going to see the, the power of God at work in spectacular ways um, in that whole process. And it's, uh, these, these great judgments are coming against the people of Egypt for inflicting this, this cruelty on the people of Israel. Uh, and then uh, 9 through 12, we're looking at the response of God 
to the, the you know, their, the Hebrews' attitude of doubt, um, which you understand, you know, I, I get it uh, because they, they were all fired up. Okay, set us free, and it's, it didn't go the way they wanted. Now it's harder. It's not going to go the way they want even when it goes the way they want. You'll see that the, the Hebrew people are a test, just like we all are. So you'll see how we, how we come by it so easy. We really, have you ever read that, you know, like, I remember thinking uh, as a, a, you know, when I first read about, in a way that I understood, you know, the people being released through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and, and how it opened up. And it, it did. I mean, don't, don't people try and say, oh, it was the Reed Sea, because then you, gotta, you have an older an issue of how did this little tiny two-foot sea swallow up the whole army of Egypt, which is a much bigger problem than believing that the sea parted and Israel went through and then it collapsed on the Egyptian army and took them away. And I remember thinking, wow, if you, if you saw the parting of the... I mean, if you were there and you walked across, you'd think that would probably take you your life, right? To just say, I'm good. I have seen the hand of God parting of the Red Sea. I'm good, whatever. And like the next week they're complaining they want to go back to Egypt because there's not salt. Uh, you know, it's like, it's crazy. And then I think to myself, I used to go, you know, get, try and get all judgmental about that. And then I realized, in my own life, I've seen that the, the power in the hand of God move in significant ways. I mean, like, life-changing ways. And then the next day be like, eh, what have you done for me lately? And then I'm shocked at my own sort of, you know, how I get there. And yet I realize it's just like these guys. So, so we, we see God at work all the time and then we dismiss it sort of offhandedly all the time too. So um, he's, he's going to remind them over and over again that, that he's got them and that you know, he's going to see this through. The plan is in place for them to move into the land of Canaan and to populate that land and to be a, flourished, a flourishing people that will have an impact on the world, which they certainly do. Um, because through that, we get Jesus. I mean, that's the, the main impact, and we know that from the Crimson Thread of Redemption. But even, even throughout history, they're going to have an impact on the world, um, even to get us to that point. And uh, Moses sort of expresses his misgivings about this plan because he's seen that it hasn't worked already, and he doesn't see any new components to the plan. So he's like, you know, really? That's, I did what you said, and that didn't work at all. You want me to go back and do that again? I don't, I don't, nothing's changing? Give me, give me, send me an angel? Do me something. No, just go and tell them. And, uh, and then, you know, sort of the, the genealogy is recorded there. And I, like I said, it's, it's interesting. because the first three sons of Israel listed, and then it doesn't list the rest of the sons. It stops there, and it takes Levi, and it expands his genealogy for us to get us to Moses and Aaron. And it's God's way of saying, listen, I'm, I've been in charge this whole time. Um, I, I got this. It's all going according to plan. Just because it's not the way you like to see it. It's all, it's all going according to plan. Don't worry. This is the plan. Hang in there. And um, uh, Moses and Aaron were going to be the leaders of this huge movement that was about to take place. They just had to continue to, to learn to trust and do what they were told. And that's usually the hardest part. Um, especially when it doesn't go the way we think it's going to go. And, um, and so, you know, he's still there at the end of the chapter. He's saying, you know, I, I, how's he going to listen to me? You know, I don't even speak very well. And God says, listen, you go, and, and I've got you, and you just go. And tell them, tell him everything I tell you. That's what you need to do. And so uh, 
ultimately you're going to see sort of how this works out. But it's, uh, it's a process. So that's kind of mm, Exodus 6. And uh, we'll pick it up there next week. Barbara? They're the first, those are the first three sons of Israel. So he's including them to get to Levi. But then he doesn't, he doesn't really, that's all we were. It's just to get this established into Levi. So these are, this is the, these were the three. And then he stopped. He doesn't give you the rest of the nine. He got the three and then Levi. Because he's bringing up his family. Because Moses and Aaron are Levites, right? And so he wants to establish that. So he says, this is how they got there. And this is why it's important. Then the rest of that genealogy is just about that, that part of the clan. That's why. Yeah, yeah, good question. Okay. Uh, if you're watching my video, thank you on the webcast. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you soon. Come and visit when you can. Thanks for being a part. Good night.